Um, one of the invariable constants in our life is change. <laughs> we can't get away from it. It's not just Mel who's a bridge. We're all a bridge because we're all only here temporarily, whether that's, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever. We're all only here temporarily. So that's not a negative thing. We're all trying to build to the next generation and keep going what the Lord has planted so many years ago. I'm thankful that we have a God who James tells us and the author of Hebrews tells us does not change. And I would reiterate, just double down, whatever. Mel's not done. Um, Lyle would tell you, my wife would tell you, that Paul compares running the race, it's an endurance race. He's not finished yet. And that last couple yards to the finish line, you get that burst of energy from the people who are cheering you on, who are there goading you to the finish line. So I would encourage you to cheer him on as he gets to the finish line for this stage, not the next one. You got more, buddy. <laughs> one of the goals of the leadership team as we look toward the future, and one of the things that you've heard Jeff say up here time and time again is that we want to be more intentional and proactive as a team instead of reactive as a team. And our desire, as changes such as this inevitably come, is to have systems in place, have people in place, and have systems in place to teach people to be in place so that we can keep the church running as smoothly and efficiently and as God-honoring as it possibly can, no matter what might come our way, because we know that change is going to continue. This is not the last one we're going to have to go through. And any of you who have been Christians for more than a day <laughs> know that sometimes God likes to wait till the very last minute. And he does that to stretch our faith. He does that to teach us something. But that doesn't mean that in the interim we shouldn't be proactive about being prepared. And if he wants to wait till the last minute, fine. But we believe in and are working toward making this church as healthy and as streamlined and as well-functioning and as glorifying of God as possible. So one of the ways that we would like to do that begins today. Because we're starting a mere, uh, series of message on spiritual gifts. Gifts God has given the church, the body of Christ. The idea being that we put people in place that they are designed to fit. That's why the puzzle pieces are up there. You have a place you're designed to fit. And you can thrive. And the church functions well as a body, even amidst the constant changes that inevitably take place in our lives. So over the next 10 weeks or so, probably till around the Christmas season, we will go over the gifts in detail. We hope that you will recognize through this series some of the gifts as, as the pastors are up here preaching, oh, wait, maybe that's, maybe that's me. Or you can encourage someone else in the gifts that you hear, and you're like, wait, you know, that sounds like you. That sounds like something you'd be good at. 
And you can encourage someone. And the idea is to build up the body, to put the pieces in place, and to make it all it can be. And this isn't just a leadership team task. Some of you are in charge of ministries in this church. If you see somebody who you, you know that that's their gift or you think it is, tap them on the shoulder. Say, I see this in you. We specifically want to help each of you as a part of this body consider what the purpose is you might have. There's a purpose God has put in you. <clears throat> And we want you to participate in that. And we want to build this into a healthy, thriving, vibrant church body so that when Jesus returns, number one, we're ready. And number two, he finds a beautiful, functional, healthy bride because he deserves that. At the very least, he deserves that. He deserves more than that. But it's the least we can do. So one of the ways that we believe that we can create health in our churches to put members in places where they're gifted to have the best opportunities to succeed. By doing this, we believe we'll bring life to this church. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I realize that, it, excuse me, in that context, he's in a large way talking about eternal life. But it's more than that. It's more than that. Life and vibrancy is something that fills our very being. And Jesus is life in all of its machinations, in all the different ways. Whenever anything has life and sustenance and vibrancy, Jesus is there. That's who he is. Whether we're speaking of things eternal or things day-to-day -day here, he embodies what it means to have life and joy and purpose, and that's what we want this church to look like. Before we take the time to examine the gifts individually over the next several weeks, I am up here to discuss the question that I'm always up here to discuss. Why? <laughs> because that's my two-year-old nature. Why? Why are these gifts given? What purpose do they serve? How do they help us determine what God is trying to accomplish? If we understand why we have gifts, then once we discover them, we'll know better how to use them. And they also also help us fit and piece everything together, put the puzzle together so that we can reach the ultimate goals that the Lord wants to achieve. So let's pray before we start. Father, I'm grateful for this morning. It's an emotional morning, but that's okay because you have designed us to have emotions. And uh, we're grateful for that. We're grateful that we reflect you and your image. We believe that you are emotional as well, not in a bad way, but that you have all the emotions we have. We're thankful we can rest in that this morning. We pray that your truth would be on display here, always out of this pulpit, no matter who stands up here the truth would be on display. And we ask for your truth this morning. Teach us about who you are, how you want us as a church to look like, what you want your bride to look like when you come back. We want to look like that. And teach us how to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look into the gifts that God has given the church, there's three major passages that discuss these gifts. And I have them listed up here. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians chapter 4. I want to look at them all today. So you're not getting one big sermon. You're getting three bonus mini sermons today. All right. I'll be reading a lot of scripture, but that's okay. You don't need to hear from me. You need to hear from God. 
<clears throat> so I want to look at each of these, and I want to see if there's common themes we can take from the passages. And as we read through these sections of God's Word, I want to focus on three things from each one. What are the gifts that are listed? Why are the gifts given? What is the ultimate goal that God's trying to accomplish through this? All right? And then let's see if there's any themes we can pull out. So if you start, let's start in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> if your pew Bible is page 978. Actually, I'm going to... Paul's kind of building to chapter 4. Let me read a little bit of chapter 3 before we get into it. So start in verse 3 of chapter 3. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. That's a theme we're going to see here. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all of God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to the heavenly places. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 4. Therefore, I, Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. You have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift. Through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice it says he ascended. This clearly means Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens, that he might fill the entire universe with himself. And these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, 
We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way to be more like Christ, who is the head of body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow, so the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So what are the gifts that he lists here? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why are the gifts given? If you look in verse 12, it says, I want to build up the church. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. And then in verse 15 and 16, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of the body of the church. His bot, his, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow. So building the church, growing the body is the purpose of the gifts. What is the ultimate goal that God is trying to accomplish here? Verse 13, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So unity, maturity, Christ likeness is the goals that God is trying to accomplish through giving these gifts. And I, the reason I read chapter 3, verses 10 to 11, God is building up his church in chapter 4 to fulfill the purposes that Paul laid out in chapter 3, namely that God is displaying himself through us, through us who sit in these pews. God is displaying himself to the unseen world. There's so much more purpose in this life than houses and cars and sports and wealth and hobbies, etc., etc., etc. And there's nothing wrong with those things in their proper context. That's not what I'm saying. But understand what Scripture is saying here. There's a whole existence. There's a whole unseen world out there that God is speaking into through us. He's using us to display his wisdom and his creativity and his variety and his generosity. And if we're willing to walk in the gifts he's given us in unity and maturity, he's speaking that to them. He's using us to display who he is. How amazing a calling is that? That's a high calling. And it's an exciting calling, family. It's an exciting calling. And I believe this is a central tenet to our existence, a very central tenet to Scripture. But that's another sermon for another time. Let's move on. The next section is, is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Is there a pew Bible, page 956. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A special gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. 
To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages or tongues, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts, and He alone decides which gift each person should have. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, some of us are free. But we have been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there, would, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we close with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts which should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer. If one part is honored, all the parts are glad. And all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. And here are some of the parts, here are some, here are some of the parts that God has appointed to the church. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have gifts of healing, those who can help others, those who have a gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in tongues? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. Of course not. Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show a way to life that is best of all, which you all know from going to weddings. The next chapter, <laughs> he talks about love. But it's not about weddings. It's about you can have every single one of these gifts that he just talked about. And if you don't love others, you, you're wasting your time. So what are the gifts he lists here? There's a lot. He actually lists them twice. And they're not the same list. There's a list starting in verse 8 and then another list starting in verse 28. They're up there. Why are the gifts given? Well, in verse 7, he says very specifically, a spiritual gift is given so we can help each other. And then... In verses 12 to 24, he goes through this whole analogy of a body. And his point is that he's, the gifts are providing so that this body functions well. A bunch of people, different parts functioning as one whole. And then you add this body to the body next door, 
to the one down the road, to the ones that you, you understand what I'm saying. It's all supposed to function well together. And that is Paul's analogy. And just to make sure that you understand that Paul knows what he's talking about, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to take your finger, I want you to hold it next to your neighbor like you're I want you to pretend that you're eight years old again and it's your sibling sitting next to you in the car and you're playing the not touching you game. No, I, I don't see people doing this. All right? Take your other hand. You're not touching them. Don't touch them. No touching. Take your other hand and cover your nose. Hold your nose shut. Tell me what your neighbor smells like through your finger. Can you do it? Of course not. Your finger wasn't made to smell. But see, I still don't think you understand what I'm getting at here. So I need a volunteer. Who wants to come up here? Aubrey's looking away. <laughs> Who? Ross? Come on, Ross. Come on up here. I saw you look away, Aubrey. Next time it's you. <laughs> How you doing today? Good. You were you were thinking this is what this morning was going to go like, right? <laughs> What's that? Ten dollar bill. All right. <laughs> Missed your chance, didn't you? I want you to pick it up. Hey, give him a hand. Hey, good job. Wait, wait, you're not done. <laughs> if you can pick it up this time, you get to keep it. But you need to pick it up with your hair. Okay, use your hand. Can't do it. <laughs> Go ahead, get it. No, it's okay. It's all right. This, uh, I, listen, I can do a sermon on tithing and get him to give more now. Right. <laughs> Go ahead, you can have it. Your hair has a purpose, right? It keeps your body heat in, right? Kind of sort of protects your scalp if you get a little cushioning there. Our eyebrows are hair. They protect our eyes from sweat. We have eyelashes that are hair. They, they keep dust out of your eyes. They regulate the light that's coming into our eyes. Our hair has a purpose. It's necessary. But it can't help you pick up a $10 bill because it's not supposed to. <laughs> if you want to pick up money, your hair is pretty useless, but your hand's pretty helpful. You get it. Like, I didn't even need to do that. I understand. I often hear people say that uh, this is this is Bruce, not the Lord. I often hear people say that, oh man, you, you just you need to get out of your comfort zone. You know, I hate that saying, and I don't mean you can't say it in front of me. And I don't mean that the, in, in its context it doesn't have purpose. Like I understand that there, are, like if your life is living in your parents' basement playing video games, you need to get out of your comfort zone. But <laughs> you. 
there are times when you need to try new things and the Lord needs to stretch you. But there are, there's a lot more times where he's made you to do something and be something. And when you walk in that, there's power. And when you're not walking in that, you're failing the body. Because someone else is trying to do something that you were designed to do. Don't get out of your comfort zone. I need you to get into your comfort zone. Understand that that has its proper place, but you understand what I'm saying. You know, Paul's going to remind the Corinthians in just a page or two further in this letter that God is a God of order. And he discusses that in how they're behaving in their meetings in regards to tongues. And he says, look, God's a God of order. He's not a God of disorder. Things are supposed to be in the right place. And that lesson is true for this church in all of its ways, not just in tongues, in all the ways. And in creation, God designed things to work in certain ways. And when they, we try to circumvent that, it leads to chaos. And what does chaos sound like? That sounds like someone else's agenda, doesn't it? If God is a God of order, then Satan, his desire is for disorder. And, you know, we look at this world and we, <laughs> we wonder sometimes, don't we, at how the simplest things, the most obvious things get twisted out of shape by the world. Men go with women and women go with men. Like even leaving God out of the picture, like let's not even talk about religion. Biological fact tells you rationally that men go with women and women go with men. It's obvious that the parts fit in certain places. And we look at the world and we go, why are you making it so hard? It's not that hard. And then we come to church and we do the exact same thing. We put people in places they're not supposed to be. Instead of trying to find a place they fit, a place they work, a place God designed them to be to bring them life. Even Paul understood that not everyone can do everything. He says it right here in verse 30. Do we all have these gifts? Do we all have this gift? Do we all have this gift? Of course not. Of course not. We need to start putting the right pieces in the right places. And that means helping discover what your gift is. And you need to put a little effort into that too. It's not about, well, we've had this ministry for so long. We've, we've just got to keep it going. We'll just find somebody who will run it. No, find the ministry that that person was designed to do and start a new one. Put people in the right places. What is the ultimate goal God is trying to accomplish? Again, unity, completeness, harmony, verse 25 to 27. This makes for harmony among the members. So that all the members care for one another. If one part suffers, they all suffer. If one part is honored, all parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. When we see a person whose body is betraying them, when they're sick, when they're ill, whatever it is, we do everything we can to try and get that body to function the way it's supposed to be. Rest, go home and go to bed. Don't come out till you're better. Medicine, Surgery, cut it up, tear it down, put a new one in. Whatever it takes until the body works the way it should or until all the options are exhausted. We do that for people. We need to do that in our churches as well. Whatever it takes to get this to function the way that the Lord wants it to function, his bride should look 
and function right when he returns. Lastly, turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Page 944. I'm actually going to start in 11, verse 33. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him. And exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Catch that. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know what God's will is for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think, of you, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, there it is again, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body. We all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take your responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. There you go, Tammy. That one's for you. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. So what are the gifts? They're listed there, starting in chapter in verse seven. <clears throat> what is the purpose of the gifts? The reason I started in eleven, verse thirty-six. Everything comes from Him, exists by His power, and is intended for His glory. That's pretty straightforward. One of the intended purposes of our gifts is to glorify God, and that means as you use your gift, you should be making sure that He gets the credit and not you. Verse 2, Paul says, discovering our gifts will enable us to learn God's will. And you say to me, well, wait a minute, Bruce. Now, how's that possible? Paul hasn't even gotten to the gifts yet, and you're going back to verse 2. And I'd say, no, he hasn't gotten to the list of gifts yet. But he says that when we let God transform 
the way we think, we will learn his will. And then in verse 3, he points out this new thinking entails not thinking more of ourselves than we should, and we need to be humble. Why? Because each part in the church has a special function. So you start thinking highly of, oh, I have this function. Oh, I get to stand up here in front of you. It doesn't mean anything. You have just as special function as anyone who stands up here. This list of gifts God has given to his people, everyone has a different function. And when you humbly recognize that everything works together for the glory of God, you start to understand what his will is for you. You are to serve the function he gave you. And oh, by the way, in verses 1 and 2, he says, when we dedicate our lives to this, this is truly the way to worship him. This list of gifts also shows that it is to support one another. Notice that none of the gifts God gives out will benefit you as an individual. Are you going to teach yourself? Are you going to serve yourself? Are you going to encourage yourself? I guess you could go home and look in the mirror and be like, you are really good looking today. You understand the gifts are designed to be used in a corporate setting. It's only in a corporate relational relationship type setting that these gifts are useful. What is the goal God is trying to accomplish? Unity and harmony. He says it again in verse 5. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Verse 9. Don't pretend to love others. Really love them. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do you understand that the Trinity is the ultimate example of this for us? And I know you probably didn't catch it, and if you did, kudos to you. But in each one of these three scriptures that deals with gifts, it was noted by Paul that each part of the Trinity is the one who gives the gifts. So in Romans 12, 6, he says, God has given us different gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1, 4, and 8, he all points out that the Spirit is the one who gives the gifts. And Ephesians 4, 7 says, He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. You can see the completeness, the relationship, the unity, the harmony, each serving the other, each knowing its role, each doing it well, complete, functional, relational, beautiful. The Trinity is our example for how this is supposed to work. If we call ourselves believers, if we claim Jesus as Lord, then the Holy Spirit lives in us, promising you of his return. We talked about that in the last message about baptism. In the interim, so at the baptism, you receive the Holy Spirit. When you believe, you're, you're given the Holy Spirit as a gift. In the interim, that Spirit gives us another gift, one that we should be using through the Spirit to pursue the ultimate ends that God intended. It's amazing when you put them side by side, the ultimate goals are almost all the same. Our church, if functioning properly, will look like that. It will be an extension of Christ himself because we are his body, we are his bride, we are one with him. It will be growing and thriving and purposeful. In short, it will be alive. It will have life. And it's more than just whoever's standing up here. We all have a role to play in this. Our goal over the next 
eight, nine, ten weeks will be to lay out the gifts in more detail so that you understand what they are. We want you to recognize what gift you may have, how you can use it well. You may say, oh, that's, that might be me. We want to give you opportunity to test and discover and think about what may be your role, your piece, where you fit in that puzzle. And then we want to implement these things in our church to build us up to completeness, to have a healthy, functional, beautiful bride, one that is full of life and is ready for the return of her groom. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for the things that you give us to help us do this life well. It's not always easy. There is a lot of change. There is a lot of upheaval. And we don't even have the worst of it here in America. And yet you've given us structures. You've given us ways to walk through this together as one. And you gave us the greatest example in yourself. And I'm thankful for that. Help us to resemble that. Help us to take it and live it and know it and know how to do it well. And over the next several weeks, Lord, I pray for this congregation to discover what you've placed in them, Lord there's a vibrancy and a life that I believe you want to bring here that's already here, but you can build up even better. And we want that to be part of this congregation. We want you to be part of it. We want to look like you. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.